Eels off the top. Larkham. Herbert smashes through the middle. Regan. Drop goal from Larkham. Up it goes. Could you believe it? Larkham has to be a to be Welcome back, everyone, to the Green and Gold Rugby Show. This is the show that's getting you over the advantage line on the hottest topics of Australian rugby. It's been a while, but I'm still Reg. Uh, I'll be your, I guess, host, lead tonight. And joining us uh, tonight is a couple of our regulars. One of those regulars uh, finally got the chance to sleep, and he's on home soil finally. Jamie Miller, you're, you're an Aussie now. Yeah, uh, you know, Rugby Australia offered a, a very attractive relocation package, and uh, glad to be doing <laughs> what I do back home, uh, especially with the uh, with the World Cup coming around next year. So uh, back to Australia it is. This is one of those Matt Tamua deals where you're available for selection right now, but uh, we're just not quite sure when you might turn out for Super Rugby Team. <laughs> I like that. I like that analogy a lot. I've been in the country for three days, but already I'm on the podcast. You know, paying off. The- <laughs> You know, paying off the bean counters in uh, at Rugby Australia, so that's my job. Excellent, mate. And also joining us is uh, Hugh Cavill. How are you going, Hugh? Uh, we're ready to put Super Rugby behind us and look forward to the international season. Yeah, yeah. It's it's been a while since uh, since we've all uh, been on. It seems like yeah, that <laughs> Ireland series seems like it was it was years ago, doesn't it? Um, it, it all moves so fast, and and uh, yeah, Bledisloe only a couple of weeks away. Um, and it, it's, you know, this time of the year where I start to forget more and more what happened last year and the year before and start to <laughs> bring back that delusional optimism that, that has served me so well in previous oh, yeah. years. It must be delusional because I'm feeling not confident, but I'm hopeful at least. And look, it has been a while, guys, and I know our fans, we apparently have a few have been at us about a podcast, and we are just slack and busy lives and caught in the way, but we know the rugby report card guys and even the uh, the drop kickoff with the two Knicks have been out there a few times, so uh, we're glad we'll be getting some things uh, you know, across there in your ears while you've waited for us to come back. For us, no real change in format. We're going, still sticking with the five burning questions. Um, let's rip through them now. Now before we get stuck into them, so number number one, what happened in that semi-final? The, the Lions and the Tars. There, uh, question two: the big trial this weekend of a what are we calling it? The Michael Checker fifteen versus a Super Rugby fifteen, or even that's not quite right. But is it worth it this Friday night down at Leichhardt Oval? Uh, question three: Are we the Wallabies a chance in the first Bledisloe Cup? Question four. Um, the NRC, a few NRC announcements of late, including the Brisbane and Queensland country teams, announced just today. Uh, what are your hopes or expectations for the NRC this year? And finally, what's one thing? We want to do a bit of a Super Rugby wrap-up. What's the one thing each Super Rugby side needs to improve on for their teams next year? Um, so let's get stuck into it. So Waratah's going down to the lines. Uh, entertaining match really started all guns a-blazing for the Waratahs in particular. Um, getting a couple of tries early up, but in the end they went down 44-26, those lines, that, 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 whether it's the uh, the travel or whatever, but uh, the Waratahs just weren't able to, to hold into it. Hugh, what was your um, your reading of the match? I guess let us know how you watched that, that viewing experience first and foremost, and, and then what was your initial thoughts on the, the, the performance? Well, I was just on my couch at home, really. It was, it was nothing too um, glamorous or social. Um, I, I think the performance, you know, 
was 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 fairly laudable. You, at at fourteen nil after eight minutes or whatever it was, you, you thought you know you you had that little glimmer of hope that I think it wasn't just hey you know we can actually win this game, but at least you know it's going to be close and it's not going to be a, a one sided one. You know, it reminded me a bit of our game against the Crusaders. Year where yes we, we we launched that to an early lead but we there's so much time left on the clock that you know, the lead doesn't count for a huge amount um, in the grand scheme at in in that altitude there is going to be a lot of points scored so I always had it you know in my head that the Lions were going to come back and, and they did and they played very well and and I think um you know I think I said on the forum what, what the Tars you know just lacked in that second half it was just a little bit of a bit of luck and and a little bit of good fortune in the Lions to make some mistakes, and the Lions didn't do that. They didn't give them an inch, and, and that was the, the tail of the game. And in the end, it was the Waratahs that cracked and, you know, a, a few soft penalties and a soft yellow card to Damien Fitzpatrick, a few missed tackles, and, and then all of a sudden the Lions had a had a sort of 18-point lead, and, and that was it, you know. And, and the game was fairly evenly fought, and I think the Tars can hold their heads high. But, um, yeah, the Lions too good, too strong, too big, too fast. Yeah, indeed, Jamie. But, yeah, I guess what what was the success of the Waratahs to getting out to that early lead and, and what changed to, to turn it around from your perspective? Yeah, I mean, it was such an exciting start when the Waratahs turned up for kickoff, which is um, more than I can say for Matt Rowley. I was meant to watch with him and then about two at, at a pub of his choosing – and then uh, just a little bit before kickoff, he was like, this is a Saturday night, mind you. This isn't like a Tuesday. He was like, oh, no, look, I don't have the staying power uh, for an 11.30 kickoff. So oh. like, he's, officially tra- he's officially transitioned into old man territory now. That's disgraceful. Um, yeah, disgraceful, disgraceful. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it was a great start. And then that it was just that next 10 minutes, the Waratahs, you know, they, they, they butchered a try pretty much straight after those two early ones, and then they just let the Lions get into their rhythm and, and let them just find their feet in the match because they were, they were really out of it. The crowd was quiet. They were really struggling. Um, and, but I think ultimately I really agree with what Hugh just said is the Tars probably did pretty well in the season and on the night given what they've got available. Um, it's just they're a terrible matchup for the Lions. I mean, the, they're very, you know, the Tars play a very mobile style. The Lions also play a mobile style, except they can do it with power as well as mobility. And uh, the Waratahs can't do that. That's not what they bring to the table. So I think the Lions and us are just a, a very bad matchup. And, and really, once they got going at home, uh, you know, it was just uh, pushing downhill for the Lions. And they, they did very well to, to get the win. Yeah, they did. So what about some of those players? I mean... Um... The lighter forward pack, you, you mentioned that, Jamie, and I, I guess I'll throw it back to you that, you know, the, the, that back row of, of Hannigan, Miller and Wells, and individually they've all done well and, and, and I think probably surprised a few people this year. I think Hannigan obviously Wallaby last year, but is sort of, I think he's stepped up his game this year. Miller and Wells, um, less profile obviously, or at least less, uh, uh, profile at the international level obviously, but, you know, they've done well, but as a, as a, as a unit, um, you know, it's it's hard to match the the power, of, particularly when you've got Warren Whiteley, the the number eight for the the Lions. They're such a talisman for them in, in South African rugby. It's 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 just one of those little areas where the um the gap was filled, I reckon. And Kwaga Smith, obviously. Yeah, that's spot on. I mean, I think you know 
the TARS this year are kind of like me in the kitchen. Like all of the individual elements are there, but the uh, the end product is so much less than one might hope. Um, and you're right, you know, Will Miller, Michael Wells, Ned Haddingen, all individually very good players, but together it's just a little same-same. There just isn't enough power and punch and, and ultimately – you know, I, I think we've got to be realistic. I think the Tars did did fine to make the semi-final. That's a that's a reasonable job by then. But they never really looked like a top team in this competition. Um, and the the easy schedule that they have compared to some of the other teams uh, made them look a little better than they were. Um, individually, uh, Hugh, any other players that uh, I guess just looking at that Waratah team, um, you know that. Uh, you're impressed by particular. I guess these are this finals. We'll focus on the finals in this match a little bit as well. But any, that you thought maybe just let us down a bit as well. Uh, you know, you hate to pick out names and like that, but uh, oh, didn't quite yeah, stand look, up to it. I think there was a few players that probably stepped back, and and you know, a guy who I praise a lot on this podcast, Sakopi Kepu. You know, he didn't have his best game in that semi-final. He gave away his token. Um, reckless penalty at the breakdown, and, and Rob Simmons gave away his token, minus mm. picking the ball up when he shouldn't have been penalty. And, and you know, I think um, you don't want to pull people out as well, even though I just have really, but Curtis Rona has yeah. sort of plays dropped off a bit of a cliff in the last month or so, and we probably needed a little bit more out of him in a game where we needed a bit of defensive sort of steal. Um, but... I think what Jamie said is true about the Waratahs, but you look at it and they go, if they beat the Brumbies in that last game and that game is held at the SFS and not at altitude in South Africa, then you probably say it's a different result. So yeah, you can, on the one hand, it's easy to say, well, you know, that they uh, they were lucky to be on the podium um, or lucky to be in the semi-final in one sense. Um, in another sense, you almost think that they were almost, you know, could have gotten closer, couldn't even got, could have even got to the final and, and you know, no one's suggesting that they would have beaten the Crusaders, but then again, they said that in in, in the earlier rounds. So, you know, they've had their fair share of luck this year, but also you feel like a few results go their way, and it could have been even better. So it's the vagaries of the conference system in a way. But um, they, you know, they have to be good enough to cash in. And unfortunately, you know, when the when the um, moment came, they just weren't good enough. Yeah, I mean, you're making it. Just go, go, Jamie. Mate. Oh, sorry. No, you go, Reg. Mate, I was going off a little bit topic there, and it's it's a topic we've talked about countlessly, and it's discussed in the forum, and it's almost the you know the big issue in in Australian rugby, if not sort of Southern Hemisphere rugby, is this format, and this this game just sort of again highlighted it. And I know we've had it this sort of structure for a few years and so on, but you know. For a team to have to fly from Sydney to South Africa to play the semi-final, the second biggest game of the year, and then, you know, and now the Lions have to fly back to, to New Zealand for the final. Geez, it's putting a lot of, you know, a big ask on these players we want, you know, to be the showcase of the game, and let alone the fact that, you know, and I, you know, on the one hand, rugby's got this, you know, the, the world, the, the, you know, the international flavours is such a selling point. But a semi-final at 11 o'clock at night, just, I don't know, was it, what was it like down there, guys? I mean, was it out of sight, out of mind? Did people care about it, um, despite the, the Waratahs' good performance the week before? Well, oh, I, think, I, don't think, I, think, I don't think people really cared, no. Yeah. Well, certainly Matt didn't. No, no, clearly, yeah, I know. Well, look, I think as well that... that, that um, 
you know, as we saw in the Highlanders game the week before, I think a lot of momentum dropped away after that Brumbies loss. I think if people thought yeah. they were in the title hope, then there would have been a real rallying. But realistically, I think everyone realised that, you know, if they didn't lose this game, they're certainly going to lose the next one. So I, I don't know if they're ever, you know, I think even the fans sort of saw that the Waratahs, you know, weren't that good a side. Um, and, and, you know, didn't really think they could win the competition. Now, is that an excuse for the poor turn in the semi-final? No, it's not. The quarter-final, sorry. But, you know, it, it explains it in some way. And, and, yeah, I think in, in, in hindsight, it's actually the, I think it's the best performance by an Australian conference side since the Waratahs sort of title runs in 2014 yeah, and 15. Yeah. Um, so it's nice to see an Australian team actually figuring in the finish, even if, you know, they didn't get to the final. So, you know, that's, I suppose, a, a positive way of looking at it. And on the back of a an improved general Australian conference performance, I think, you know, it's 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 a sign that things are on the improve. So I suppose that's the optimistic way of looking at it anyway. Yeah, and I'd add that, you know, at the start of the season, people generally thought that the Brumbies, the Rebels, even the Reds might win this conference. And in the end, it wasn't close. The Waratahs really put it in. They did have those two incredibly tough losses to New Zealand teams back-to-back in the middle, which, as Hugh says, uh, you know, if those went differently, they would have had an, an even bigger lead. Um, but the Waratahs, you know, they crushed this conference, really. Um, and they finished with a with a wet sail. And, you know, they put together some really good rugby in the last, uh, in the second half of the competition. So, yeah, I mean, we'll talk about this later, but there are some positive signs heading towards the future. Yeah, good stuff. All right, look, and, and look, the other semi-final was um, the Crusaders getting up over the Hurricanes, obviously, 30 or 12. So it gives us another Crusaders versus Lions grand final. Um, do you give the Lions any hope there, Jamie? Um, not a lot. I think the Crusaders have just perfected that New Zealand art of the last couple of years. They're both extremely creative and unpredictable in attack. And then in defence, they just give the opposition so few opportunities. They're... Uh, great defenders, very physical, and perhaps most importantly against the Lions, they're extremely strong in the set piece. Uh, the line out, the scrum, and the maul, those are all strengths for them. I just, I, I don't think that matchup for the Lions is very good for them. Hugh, it's it's a remarkable achievement this Crusader team. I mean, we're used to that great team of you know a few years ago with the Carters and um, uh, uh, Richie McCaw and, and you know even going back to Reuben Thorns and, and they were great teams. And when Carter and McCaw finally went and a few other players sort of went too, you know we thought maybe they might be humanised a little bit. But whether it's Scott Robinson or just the structures and intrinsic structures they've got in Christchurch over there. They're still performing and they're playing incredible rugby. And you got these guys just standing up. Richie Moonga, the, the fly half, is just playing fantastic rugby at the moment. It's 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 a it's an incredible team, isn't it? Yeah, and they play that same brand of rugby, don't they? Really, it's yeah. sort of just moving side to side, looking for those mismatches and, and that focus on basic skills. It's 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 in many ways rugby at its purest. Um, yeah, there's not too much trickery and there's not too much advanced analytics and metrics and, and all of that sort of stuff. It's just, um, really basic, you know, um, play and it's great to watch. Um, I really think the Lions could give them a shake. I don't think they'll win, but if they can p- produce their best performance and really try and smash the Crusaders and beat them up, 
then, you know, there might be a chance. A guy like Malcolm Marks is, you know, a, an amazing player, as we saw um, against the Waratahs. And same with Quagga Smith. Um, you know, if these guys can, can come out firing and, and produce their best, then then I reckon they're a shot. But, um, you know, they, they um, are probably going to lose, let's face it, and lose for the third time in a row, which is um, slightly heartbreaking for them. I can't feel too sorry yeah, for them. Yeah, I mean, I think... I think there's one other factor behind these New Zealand teams doing so well. I mean, you're bringing these young players into a training environment in Christchurch or Dunedin or Hamilton. I mean, these are some of the most boring places on the planet. I mean, there are so few distractions for these young kids. Um, I mean, I remember spending a weekend in Christchurch once, and by about 11 a.m. on a Saturday, I was bored out of my mind. There is just nothing to do. And I think that really helps the teams keep them on the straight and narrow. Because there is, I mean, look, I mean, Dunedin, Dunedin is a complete shithole. But, it, you know, it, it, compared to Christchurch, it's like Las Vegas. I mean, you know, Christchurch just is just is an awful, awful place. Maybe we should making that a criteria when we're selecting teams for any further expansion teams. Um, you know, what's what's one of the more, more boring places? With all due respect, maybe we should basing a team in Mackay or something like that. Well, the Brumbies were excellent for many years. I'm yes, not. Yes, I'm not. Good gonna, point. I'm not going yeah. to those dots, but you know where I'm going with this. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, all right, lads. Let's move on from. Um, from that and you know the final on this weekend, but there's an intriguing, or is there an intriguing? It was announced, I think, late last week um, that uh, this Friday night at Leichhardt Oval, I think it's at 6:45 kickoff, um, there'll be a we'll call it a Wallaby trial, um, whereby a Wallaby squad 15, which they're calling the Michael Checker 15, uh, so all our Wallaby squad members, Sans, any Waratahs apparently will take on this Super Rugby 15, which was a team that has just been named today and is, uh, is a fairly strong uh, collection. An interesting team of um, Super Rugby players, uh, some uh, Sevens players, uh, or I guess former Sevens players, traditional uh, co- uh, club players, a couple of Perth uh, players there, Western Force players as well. So they're playing on Friday night, uh, which is there, I guess, for all intents and purposes to give those guys a hit out, or at least the Wallaby guys a hit out before the Bledisloe, which is a couple of weeks away um, in Sydney. Uh, the question is basically, uh, is this, uh, is it worth it as a, as a, you know, a match? And you can answer that at any number of levels. Um, Jamie, I believe you're getting along to it. Is that correct? Yeah, I'm going to pop down to Leichhardt Oval. Uh, you know, I, I think it probably is worth it. I think, you know, for a start, it's true the last couple of Sydney Bledisloes we have looked underdone. And then for the players from the, the Brumbies, Rebels and Reds, they haven't played for about three weeks and they're not going to play for another three weeks. It's a, a six-week break. It's it's pretty extensive. So I think it's a good concept in general. Um I would have loved to see them, um, you know, kill two birds with one stone. I think... The, the the other team, the whatever we want to call them, the All Stars, it looks very slapped together, and is missing a couple of players who you know reasonably could be there. I think there are there aren't very good reasons why Carmichael Hunt and Quade Cooper aren't there. There aren't very good reasons. There's why. a good there's a good reason Quade isn't there. He'll be playing a, a, a club rugby final uh, that weekend. So, but I agree, oh, Carmichael. Yeah. Well, no, I'm agreeing. I, I, I'm not really sure that is a good reason. I mean, players miss 
club rugby duties for higher honours all the time. Um, and I think ultimately, you know, this could also be a great showcase for some players who want to want to put in a big performance. And he's definitely one of those guys. I mean, it might, you know, be bad for Souths and bad for his teammates, but it, it surely he needs to be on that stage. Um, and so I think that the team has a pretty weak look to it, the, the opposition. Uh, I don't know if you saw it differently, Hugh, but what do you reckon? Yeah, well, look, they're constrained by a number of factors. I think for whatever reason, as much as you say Quaid, you know, should have been there, I think they've made the call for whatever reason to to discount people whose club seasons are still alive. And so shoot, Sydney shoot, seal, shoot shield players, excuse me. <laughs> um, uh, are, That's um, special. Can we just yes. acknowledge how special was? <laughs> um, they are playing. Um, Eastwood guys are an exception because they've got a bye. Um, so that, you know, it is slapdash by its nature. I think, you know, I, I agree it could have been something a little bit probably stronger in the way that, that that team turns out. But, look, I'm willing to give it a chance and wait and see. I think it's an interesting concept and, um, you know, I think it's it's really clever. I think that there's obviously a problem with this having a massive gap between the last round of Super Rugby and, and the first blood as well. And, Especially for uh, players, you know, from from the teams that didn't qualify. Um, so, you know, it's great to be putting it on like a, great to be putting it on a stream. Great to be opening it up to the public and making it into something because you know that that's that's what um, what Wallabies are about and what uh, Australian rugby should be about. Giving as many opportunities as we can to let these young players have a have a crack. And I don't expect the game to be any quality at all. And I think a lot of people will probably be disappointed. Um, but, you know, I think it's it's a laudable idea. And I'll, I'll be interested to see the Wallaby team that Michael Checker picks. And, you know, are we going to see Will Genier and Michael Hooper and, and Adam Coleman, you know, these frontline guys? Because, you know, it seems to me to be the, the whole purpose of the thing uh, to give them a run. I, I, it'd be sort of odd to have this concept and then not to play your starting 15 guys. But, but maybe, look, I'll wait and see. And, and, and I think the, the proof will be in the pudding uh, on August 18 when we play the Blitters. Like, I think... Um, that hopefully we'll see the effects of it then. Yeah, I think that's a really good point, Matt, uh, Hugh, there, in terms of, you know, is it worthwhile? Well, there's two provisos on that. There's one who plays for the Wallabies. Is it, as you say, does the Pococks, the, the Guineas, the Coleman's, Hooper, depending on his his fitness, do they play? If not, then it defeats the purpose of the game. It was there to give, um, I, I guess, uh, minutes under the belt to these players who haven't played for a while. So uh, are they being rested? Uh, we'll wait and see. I think the team's getting named in a couple of days. Um, the two is, you know, it'll work against them if someone gets injured. You know, if we lose, you know, Hooper again or Pocock again or, or Coleman or any of those big guys to an injury in this game the critics will come. I'm going to put that aside, and I think it's a ripper. I think from a fan engagement perspective, it's a massive tick. I think all the reaction I've seen for this game has been positive. Um, so, no, I've seen a single person, you know, raise that issue of, of the potential for injuries, but that could happen crossing the road, could happen in training, it could happen anywhere. I think 
I'm really excited by it. I'm, I'm a little bit, you know, frustrated about the timing of it because it's, I'll have a lot of kids sport on Friday night. But the fact that it's free entry, the fact that it's live streamed, I'm, I'm hoping it, it, you know, it draws a bit of interest from the general punter because it should. I, you know, assuming, I think the Wallaby squad will run with a squad of 30. You know, I think you'll see these guys run on and off. I think, um, that they'll all get games. The fact that none of that squad members have been named in this, Barbarians team or this Super Rugby 15 uh, team, meaning you know your Hamish Stewart's, your Jack Maddox, you know there's three fullbacks in that squad: Jack Maddox, um, Dane Hallett, Petty, Tom Banks. You could all do with time, and we're picking Samisi Tupo, who's a wonderful player, right. but he's a you know 19 year old from Melbourne. You know, surely Tom Banks or or uh, Jack Maddox should be starting 15 in this game. So they're obviously going to try and run them all through in that Wallaby game, which, again, as Hugh alludes to, will probably impact the cohesion of that team um, and, and what they can perform on the team and, and thus the quality of the game. But, mate, looking at this Super 15 team, I'm, I'm really excited. And, the, you know, the big story for me is is James Slipper's return. I mean, if anyone has seen the media of him today where he stood in front of the media and was able to answer every question um, eloquently, honestly, genuinely, with remorse, with, with uh, you know, the appropriate level of enthusiasm. Um, it was remarkable. And, and no hiding the fact Slips is one of my favourite players on and off the field. Um, and, you know, devastated for what he did and, you know, can't excuse what he did. But, you know, the, I'm a believer in redemption and, and hopefully this is a path to redemption for him. But all of these guys have got stories to tell. And, and, and Aru Rangi from the Rebels had a great season and people were talking up as a Wallaby candidate. He, he's behind some pretty handy hooker strength, uh, depth there, but he gets a chance in this game. Sam Talakai who again is a player I've had big raps on, who's never really had this high chance and gets to anchor the scrum um, this game. Enova and Philip were both Wallabies tourists last year and all of a sudden they're not on the squad, so what an occasion for them. You know, Cottrell and Hardwick, similar. Hardwick was a Wallaby last year. Cottrell's there or thereabouts. Pat Sio, I mean, we talk about what the Waratahs might need later on. I mean, a big barnstorming number eight. Pat Sio, surely this is a super rugby trial for him. Sorovy, we've got the, you know, the, 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 um, the, the four input there with Andrew Deegan at fly half, the, the form of New South Wales, I think was a Randwick boy, was he? Um, uh, you know, really exciting to see him get a chance and great sort of embracing of, of World Series rugby by Rugby Australia. John Manetti and, and, and Timmy Walsh, who are the two co-coaches of this team. Philip De, you know, Dagoon, who I'm a massive fan of, Payaua again starred for the Wallabies this time last year, or you know a little bit later last year against the Barbarians. Tom English, Palmer Fowler. Yeah, it's a really interesting team. I think for that alone, it's got a lot of value to it, and, and um, hopefully we get some good rugby and, and we see some good performances. But that that James Slipper one is is one I'm particularly excited about. I, I think I, I totally agree with you, and I think it is a very interesting team. Um, but I do think that there are a bunch of guys in the Wallaby setup who, even with the Waratahs being there, are, are super unlikely to be in a 23 for the Wallabies. Guys like Jack Maddox, guys like yeah. uh, Tedera Faulkner. Um, yeah. There's more locks than you can shake a stick at. You know, one of Henry Spate and Sefa Naivalu will be involved, most likely. And I just would have loved to have seen them come across just to make that opposition even more competitive. Uh, yep. But... All of those things say, as you said, a lot of those other guys have got something really personal to play for. I mean, Matt Phillip this year, I mean, anyone who's been watching Matt Phillip the last couple of years knows he's a bit special, but 
this year he's just basically been jumping up and down and waving his arms in the air saying, I'm ready for the Wallabies. You know, he's got that, that skill set that I think is, is so ready for the next level. And then you got Slipper. I mean, you know, a few years ago he was our best prop. I mean, he's just so mobile, great work rate, great attitude. And, uh, you know, he's just had a couple of really, really tough years in terms of form and injuries. And it would be, it would be so great if he could get back to what he used to offer. Uh, it'd be great for him, great for Queensland rugby, uh, which I, I care about for the purpose of this argument, and uh, great for Australian rugby specifically. Yeah, indeed. Um, all right, so this, on to question three, the burning question there, and this is all a build-up to it. So this first Bledisloe in a couple of weeks, I think it's the 18th, um, down there in Sydney, and once again we, we get stuck with playing the All Blacks for our first rugby championship of the year. Hugh, are we a chance in that test? Can we beat the All Blacks first test? Yeah, look, we can. Um, the answer based off the third Blizzard last year, you yeah. know, um, showed that we can. And, and the teams are going to be broadly similar to the, to, to the two teams that fronted up on, on that particular evening. And, and I think the Wallabies are going to be improved on, on the, uh, mid-season internationals and the All Blacks showed some chinks in their armour. Um, you know, obviously the All Blacks I mean, the, are going to be hot, hot, hot favourites, and deservedly so. The third and the second. I mean, we lost the second in the last minute. Well, that's right. Um, so look, there's there's plenty of evidence that we can we can compete and and we can win. So look I, again. I mean, I'm not tipping them to win. Um, I think the the evidence of the last two years has shown that the Sydney Blues, for whatever reason. You know, we tend to struggle to get up for it, and certainly the injuries to Kurandrani and Karevi are, 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 are a real blow. Um, and we don't really have an obvious candidate for, for 13. No. Reese Hodge seems to be the one that's angling for it, but still hasn't played a great deal at that level um, in the 13 jersey. So, you know, we're we're um, we're shaping up okay, um, and we're certainly in a better position than we were last year. Um, however, you know, am I optimistic? Probably not, but but I think we're certainly in a, in a better position to compete. And, yeah, based on last year, we should be competing. We should be expecting a, a close-run game. But, um, yeah, I've, I've been burned a few times in the past. Maybe I'm the bad luck charm. I'm not going this year. I'm going to be overseas. So hopefully that could be the... The uh, you know the pressure reliever that that uh, that you know allows the Wallabies to relax without feeling the heat of my gaze from, a, from the stands. You're very hard on yourself, Hugh. There's another forty odd thousand Sydney people that hasn't seen the Wallabies beat the All Blacks in Sydney for a, a little while as well. So <laughs> don't take it all on yourself, uh, Jamie. What are your thoughts? And I'm interested particularly. I mean, some of the returning players to Tapu. Plotter now, and Matt Tamur just announced today that he'll officially be eligible for that game. Uh, do you see them playing a role in this game? Um, well, I think I think Tatar will play a vital role. Uh, apparently, according to the Premiership's player management schedules, Tamur will be available, but he won't be allowed to fully train until that week. Yeah, which means I think I think the, I think the media attention is is, as usual, a little overblown. But I definitely think he should be a part of it. I think he's a fantastic player, and he, uh, and we desperately need someone in that in those 10, 12 slots. In terms of what our overall chances are, I mean, I think one of the things that was really interesting in the Ireland series was that there was very strong evidence of a, of a major tactical shift by the Wallabies. Uh, 
the Irish clearly expected that the Aussies were going to run it from everywhere, and instead there was midfield kicking, there were switches of direction, um, there was a, you know, it wasn't, they were venturing on something new and it wasn't polished, but there's clearly evidence that the coaching staff are starting to think more broadly about doing different things on the field, and that is uh, very welcome news. Um, uh, you know, much like you guys, I think that problem at 13 is a, is a big one. I think um, that's a that's a huge blow for us. Our, our depth is so thin in that position, and both of those guys are really critical to the type of shape that we try to build on the field. So, um, but that said, uh, Hugh, I'm also overseas. So um, maybe if we both leave Sydney, then uh, then uh, you know the planets will align and the uh, the Wallabies can get the job done. Well, I think as well it's an eight o'clock kickoff, so that's probably a bit too late for Matt. He'll probably have turned in by that yeah. point as well. So, you know, yeah, I mean, I think he'll, he'll need his port. He'll need his port and his slippers by eight pm. Yes. He might. He'll be. He'll be there. He'll might just be asleep in the back of the chairman's lounge somewhere, dozed up <laughs> on a comfy couch with a sifter of something. Um, yeah, look, I, I'm I'm hopeful about this one, but again, it's it's as much the. Um, you know, the longevity since we've last played them and the, the fact that we did do well those last two games. And my hope, you know, you're right, the 13s is a really tough spot and my preference would probably be, be uh, Reese Hodge there. I just think he's a, a, a wonderful player and can, would add a lot to the team in a number of areas, including sort of exits and the chance to get some good points from distance if need be. Um, yeah, there's talk about he's moving Izzy Falau, and, and while that's a question, the, the, the chance to put Harlot Petty at fullback or Banks is quite exciting. Whether they all blacks as a team to do that, I'm not too sure. But it's the forward pack for me, and that was the, the you know that the, that young forward pack led by Jack Dempsey in that third test. Uh, Luke Antui off the bench. These young guys who, who you know haven't played the All Blacks enough, who come in with a bit of that millennial brashness. Um, I think I'm quite hopeful. <laughs> and that's that's obviously disregarding the age of the All Blacks and some of their quality as well. And they'll have their new young stars as well. But I just think you know those guys, the 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 the, the Coleman Coleman's world class. You know, Rodder, uh, assuming he gets the other start from the, the his performance against Ireland, his work rate's excellent. And that's what we need against the All Blacks. But the the impact of Luke Antui again, assuming he plays six like he did versus Ireland, that's that's no guarantee, I guess. Um, but he's a he's a wonderful player. And he's the type of player that we need against the All Blacks. And you know, the big question mark is going to be that three jersey and whether you know your um, beloved Sekopi Kapu hangs on against the the young bull Taniela Tupo. And look, I I was against rushing him too much, Tupo, but he is such. A mighty player, um, and and forget his age. He's 135 kilograms of, of, of brilliance, and and he is a player that could that could you know have a significant impact against the All Blacks. So l- let's see. Uh, we'll get close, and whether we get another podcast in before then, a couple of our guest stars being uh, out of the country might not help. But uh, I think that there's enough there for Australia to have some hope. I think one of the the really striking things about this team is that the front row has suddenly become one of our strongest position areas. And I think we need to get used to that. I think, you know, tactically we need to think about how how much of a weapon our scrum has become over the last couple of years while simultaneously not getting so depressed to think about what would have happened at the 2007 or 2003 or 2011 World Cups if this front row had played with those other teams. 
um, because there's just a real depth there and we're able to put a lot of pressure on teams in tight, um, which for a lot of Australian rugby fans is, is, is really quite foreign. Um, but I'm not unconvinced that we can't do the same to the All Blacks. I think, uh, you know, they're very good everywhere, but, you know, I really think we should be scrumming them into the ground. I mean, I think my favourite moment from that Lions match on Saturday was when Nick Phipps threw the ball directly into a retreating player. You know, I, I love that smart play. You know, some people think it's, you know, cynical and against the spirit of the game. No, you, you know, you've got to win the game the way it's meant to be won. And I think if we get a five meter scrum, we, we look to, to get Tupo in and we, we just push him, uh, because they can't deal with him. The Irish really, really struggle to deal with Tupo in that, uh, in that June series. Yeah, indeed. Um, look, we're going to move on and uh, talk NRC. Um, a few recent announcements. The, the draw was released, I guess, a week or go, a couple of weeks ago now, oh, probably three weeks ago now. Um, but the teams are starting to be announced. The coach is starting to be announced. The, the Queensland teams were announced today. And, and, and Jamie, as you sort of alluded to, or I guess uh, we were hopeful of, is, is both Carmichael Hunt and Quade Cooper and, um, indeed, uh, uh, James Slipper have been announced uh, in those teams, Slipper for the country team and Hunt and, 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 and Quaid for Brisbane City. So it's great to see them playing back. But the NRC comes. It's, it's September 1. So, um, it's, it's, I guess it's basically a month away from today. Uh, the question is, well, I don't know it's whether it's your hopes. What are your expectations? Let's be realistic. What are your expectations for the NRC this year? Uh, Hugh. It's tough, isn't it, Reg? Because, you know, at this point, I think, sitting a few years ago, we would have hoped that there'd have a bit, be a bit more momentum behind it. We know the team's better. They'd established their identities a bit better. Uh, and and we probably would be, you know, having a bit of groundswell of support. But it just doesn't feel that way, does it? In fact, it feels like the competition might have lost a bit of momentum. Uh, maybe that's just me sitting in Sydney where we've, you know, cut back another team. Um mm. And now I think we're just featuring the uh, Rays and the New South Wales Country Eagles, yep. uh, and the Rams are no more. Now, we don't want to get into a back and forth around that, but um, I think expectations, I think, you know, I've taken the opinion of the NRC that it's purely about the development of players. You know, the, the, if there's fans there, that's great. If there's TV ratings, that's great. But really, it's a development tool for for feeding the next level of super rugby and test rugby players. And certainly looking at some of those Wallaby stars, we saw Isaac Ryder and Taniela Tupo and Brendan Panger and Moser and, and Caleb Timu all cutting their teeth in NRC in previous seasons and have now come through to be starting Wallabies and pretty good ones at that. So I think it's it's looking for that next generation of players, a, a few of those that are, that are coming out for the uh, for the. Um, super all-stars or whatever the team is on Friday night. Um, you know, seeing those guys getting a chance to, to state their claims um, with some good solid rugby under their belt. I mean, a guy like Moses Sarovi is, is, is a uh, prime candidate. I think everyone's sort of looking for that next level of halfback, and he certainly showed this series got what it takes. A good NRC can really put his name forward um, for, for, for further test on it. So, look, you know, there's... That's probably my, my element is who's the unknown stars are going to come through? Where's the next level of, of, of talent? And, um, looking at that from a player base rather than anything sort of around crowds and expectations that in that sense. 
Yeah, I think that's that's right, Hugh. I mean, I I um, I'm excited about it. I, I I love the rugby, you know, itself. I love the combination of the elites and the the no names, so to speak. So you know, to see that Queensland country and Brisbane City teams picked, and see the fact that Quade's going to be playing alongside, um, you know. Guys like Thomas Kibble, who's this young black back rower from, um, plays at Ashgrove Jeeps in Brisbane. He's a 19 year old straight from school last year in the back row, but he's, a, he's fantastic. And there's four or five other guys playing in, across those squads. Just in the back row, I mean, as 19, 20 year olds who are, who are excellent players. You know, McWright, who was, you know, in the under 20s, um, uh, Harry Wilson, who must have gone close to the Harry uh, to the under twenties as well. There's some superb talent, and I, I love we're getting this opportunity to for them to to play with these better players, play at a higher level, um, uh, a different level of, of, of competition. Uh, but I agree with you. I, I I have never felt that this. I've never more felt that this competition is treading water, and and whether it's the uncertainty of what happens beyond 2020, um, whether it's the whole World Series rugby and the impact with that, and whether that sort of impacts things down the track, I, I have uh, I've got my real concerns about where this competition goes. Um, when you put it like that, Hugh, though, it, from a development perspective, it has served its purpose and it's done so wonderfully because it's it's developed some it's provided the opportunity for some excellent players um, you know, to come through and find their way super rugby and we're seeing them now in, in, the, in the international colours it's, 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 it's great to see so I can't wait for it to start in a few weeks time but uh, just under those provisos again Jamie you're, you're in town for the first time, have you adopted a team yet? Uh, no I haven't but you know they just didn't really help me by cutting one of the cutting teams in, <laughs> You in seem like a strong to... western suburbs boy <laughs> no, totally, absolutely. Um, no, look, I mean, you know, Sydney produces the vast, you know, a very sizable chunk of the rugby players coming into Australia. I, I can't possibly imagine how when you have an even number of teams, it makes sense to cut a team to make an odd number of teams. I, yeah. You know, I, I can't see that, I've got to be honest. Um, you know, I've really enjoyed the NRC. I think there was a lot of players who have made that transition to Super Rugby via the NRC and really had the opportunity to stand out. I mean, Issy Naisarani would not be where he is without the NRC. Um, and I think it's a great idea. I think we should keep investing in it. Um, I do think with all this pessimism about the changes of formats, we forget how many soccer teams and how many rugby league teams got canned over the last 30 years. I mean, you know, it was a revolving door for a while. So it's, it's okay if it takes a while to get it right. Um, but I, I look... I'm a supporter. I think it's a great idea. Everybody thought it was uh, a bit rubbish when it was launched, and it's been it, it's been a huge success. It's it's just a fantastic part of the overall firmament of Australian rugby, and it's critical for developing talent. Yep, well said. Well, once again, we'll uh, we'll be covering as much as we can for Green and Gold Rugby. So um, uh, we hope you join the uh, join the party and enjoy the the NRC once it kicks off in a few weeks' time. Um, all right, our last question of the night. We're going back to Super Rugby, but we want to look forward to season 2019. Um, and we're asking the question, what's the one thing each Super Rugby side needs to improve on 
um, for their team for next year. And we've kind of divvied these up in, in, in a fairly random, I guess, expected random perspective. Let's start with the highest ranking team and the TARS. Um, I think, uh, Jamie, you drew the TARS on this one. What's, what do you think they need to do? I mean, they, semi-finalists, uh, not too bad, but what do they need to do to, to improve for next year? Uh, you know, I think they need to do a lot to improve for next year. There's no easy fix for them. Um, we've talked a lot on this podcast about how similar a lot of their forwards are. Um, but the real issue is that they've got some real first-tier players like Falau and Beal and Kepu, and then a lot of third-tier players, you know, guys who you even if you sort of squint and you look at them in the most favourable light, you can't really see them playing for the Wallabies and... I think the problem of the last couple of years is they've had a very stable playing group, but there just haven't been a lot of players who've gone from that third tier to the second tier um, and and put their hand up. And that's one reason why they've been capable of such good rugby and such woeful rugby. And as we saw last week against the Highlanders, both in the same match, is because they, they just don't have those second tier guys coming through with the possible exceptions of, uh, of Tom Robertson and Ned Hannigan. So I'm really not sure what they have to do. They, they, I think they really need to sit down and cut ties with some of these third-tier guys, but it's not clear who you cut ties with. Do you decide, are oh, you going to re-sign Michael Wells, or do you decide you're going to keep faith in Alex Newsom? Do you decide that you want to you know, have another go-around with Tom Staniforth, or do you want to do it with Hugh Roach? You know, um, I can't see any metrics that you could use to decide to do one over the other. Those guys are, are all sort of performing at the same level. Um, and, of course, they're going to have to replace Sakelli, who scored 15 tries this year. So I think they're going to have a, a real – I think they're going to have a real challenge on their hand to develop something that is better next – substantially better next year than, than this year. Yeah, interesting. That's Sakelli and your takeaway um – God, who else was they leaving to? Uh, uh, Kellaway's, Kellaway's leaving. Kellaway's gone. They'd said their farewells. I thought there was another outside. Paddy back, Ryan. But it's, it's Paddy Ryan. Paddy Ryan. Going to, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. But I mean, to Kelly, he's been. And um, it's Arias Simone is the other one. Oh, yeah, that's Arias right. Simone. Yeah, down the Brumbies. Yeah, yeah. Look, I mean, if nothing else, to Kelly has left us with the memory of the guy who's achieved the most in professional rugby in Australia <laughs> with with the least diverse skill set. I mean, um, you know, can't kick, can't tackle, uh, slow to turn, can't pass. I mean, you know, and he scored 15 tries this year, so good on him. Yeah, incredible performance. Um, uh, That's not Rumby, is it? That's not too no, brutal. No, we're used no. to it. I think you've, you've used that line before, and I think it's it's one of the better ones. Well, I reckon he has improved his skills game minutely, but he was he seemed a smarter player this year than he was in the past. So he sort of I, I thought he had picked a bit of the um, uh, you know minor point the finer points of the game uh, and knew when to play certain roles. So that was interesting from my perspective. We're going to look at the Brumbies and, and Hugh, you're going to lead us through that for no reason other than um, I've got the Reds and the Brumbies are closer to you than, than anyone else. Yeah, look, it's it's interesting, the Brumbies. They're, they're in a situation where they, again, like the Tars, held on most of their players. I mean, their big losses being Kyle Godwin, Richie Arnold is another one that they lost as well. Um, you know, Andrew Smith retired. There's you know, um, a few, yeah, lower key ins and outs. But really, 
they've broadly held on to their talent. Izzy Nasirani is the big loss, and, and certainly mm. they're going to feel that. But they've got Pete Samu coming in. Yep. Um, they've got Araya Simone coming in as well. They've held on to most of their talent. Um, and, you know, they've got that forward pack that's that's really, um, you know, it's, it's certainly um, one of the best in the country. So my area for improvement, if anything, is, is in the back line. It's, it's their 10, 12, 13. Yeah. They need to get the best out of Christian Elefano. Um, and hopefully with more time on the paddock, he'll get there. 12 was was a hole for them with Kyle Godwin. He just didn't produce his best until he came up against the Tars in the final round, but we'll leave that there. Araya Simone is obviously coming into that squad, but um, you, know, you, you think um, he's a guy that could do with more game time. They've got Tavita Kurandrani, and let's hope he produces his best. And we know Spate and Banks you know, in the outside backs are both class. So you know, th- they've got that talent there. I, I just wonder if, if they need that game-breaking presence in the backs, that um, someone to uh, compliment Leo Lafano and take a bit of that playmaking and weight off him. I'm not sure they've got that at the moment. There's room for some young guys to step in there, I, I, I'd imagine. Um and really, it's just coming, needing to capitalise on the strength of that forward pack because with Scotty Co um, and Alan Alato, you've got the best front row with Falafi Anger in there as well, um, and, and enough you know firepower there with Dave Pocock and Rory Arnold and these sort of blokes to to really um, you know give the competition a good shake. And in that final round game, we really saw what they're capable of. And if they can produce that sort of a, of a performance consistently through next season, then. I've got no reason to believe they couldn't contend for for the uh, Australian Conference title. Um, so, yeah, I think a little bit more razzle does a little bit more spark in that back line, and, and let's hope that they can um, really unleash. Yeah, that nine, ten, twelve. I agree. I mean, even Joey Powell, who I think started the season okay, I think his form slipped a fair bit despite the Brumbies' sort of minor resurgence resurgence towards the end of the season. I thought he wasn't as sharp as he has been. Um, and probably played himself down the pecking order, perhaps. But yeah, nine, ten, twelve really seems to be, you know, when you think of that combination they've had in that team historically, it's pretty remarkable that it just they're not quite getting enough out of those those key numbers um, that they have in well, the past. Which is Red, you wonder with Matt Tamil coming into the Rebels, there's a few Rebels yeah. refugees might find their way up. A guy like Billy Meeks, I think, would yeah. might be uh, might be uh, one to look at. Yeah, that'll be they must have. They must have been devastated when Tamua decided to go to the Rebels. I mean, mm. he his combination with Leo Leofano is one that Would is have been tried perfect. and tested. Yeah, oh, they must have just been super upset by that. Yeah, hundred percent. Because he he also becomes you know a great captaincy um, candidate. Although he's coming through halfway through the season, which they they probably need as well. But um, interesting one. Um, all right, I'm going to take the Reds, surprise, surprise. Um, and um, look, a few of us did a, a massive big season review on the blog a couple of weeks ago, so you can jump on that. And there's, we, we went through all the ins and outs of the season and what we hope for next year. But look, oh, similar to Hugh's comments on the, the Brumbies, I, I'm actually pretty okay with the Reds forward pack. I think the pack is shaping up very, very nicely. Um, and, uh, and and that's without knowing the future of James Slipper. But, you know, the combinations of the Smith twins, Tupo, Pango, Mosa, um, Rhoda, Rhoda, Tui, you know, Timu. Um, you know, we've got to find a seven now with George Smith going, but I, I think that's the times right there. This Liam Wright, I've got big wraps on, and there's a, a couple of young guys underneath him as well. So, you know, 
the, the pack itself, I think, is pretty damn good. Angus Scott Young, Scott Higginbotham, of course. It's the back line. The back line is 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 an issue for us because you know John O'Lance will be a really hard player for us to 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 replace now. I mean, he was playing superb rugby at fifteen. He was also kicking very damn well. We need a fullback. We need a goal kicker. Um, and uh, I just don't know who's going to fill those roles. There's obviously rumours about Izzy, who might be able to, uh, Izzy Falau, who might be able to um, fill one of those duties, but uh, the other one's lacking. But, you know, I hope we see combinations start to gel. I, I, you know, we Brad Thorne mixed up this team a lot this year and seemed to exclude players for no apparent reason. He dropped Duncan Payaua early on. Now, he came back and played very well, but James Tuttle we never saw again albeit Moses Sarovi and, and, and Tate McDermott were both exceptional at the, the chances they got. But those combinations, um, I'd just like to see Hamish Stewart get a year at 10. You know, I think he's a he's a very good young player, just needs some time there. But that back line needs to gel and we need to get that combination going. Although the stats show that our attack was pretty damn good this year. It's only the second time, it's the first time since 2011, or sorry, the most points we've ever scored in a, a Super Rugby season since 2011. So that, you know, Super 212, 213 with Quaid at his very, very best and us making finals um, still didn't score as many points as we did this year. So while we started slowly and people poked fun at our, at our attack, we managed to turn things around and, and actually score some pretty handy points. Unfortunately, on the flip side, our defence was atrocious, and that's clearly um, unacceptable, and, and that's the big thing we need to work on. And, and whether that's Tony McGahn's bag, apparently he's the defence coach, um, whether that's something he needs to reshape his, his his structures or his approach to that. Uh, Paul Carrozza is, is stepped down as an assistant coach who is more the attack coach, I guess. So who they get in there, we'll, we'll have to see. But um, there's a vacancy on that coaching board. There's obviously not a lot of money there in Queensland rugby. I think they're going to rely heavily on Australian rugby to, to support them there. But um, there's a gap there. But that, that defence is huge for us. We, we just leaked too much at critical times and big matches, the the massive loss to the Sunwolves, obviously the first round loss to the Waratahs, back to back losses to the Waratahs and Brumbies. Sorry, first round loss to the Rebels, back to back losses to the Waratahs and Brumbies were just on the back of atrocious defence and discipline, might I ask, but but um, but uh, that sort of improved through the season. But yeah, backline combinations um, and uh, and uh, defence are just critical for the Reds next year. Anything from you guys on, on the Reds? Anything stand out that you think? Oh, look, the Reds are pretty close. As I, I remarked in this podcast a few times that they were, you know, at the at the sixty five minute mark, the seventy minute mark in in games against big opposition. You know, whether they're less than a score behind or even in front, and, and it doesn't take much to turn that around. So, um, you know, you've raised some really good points there, Reg. But um, yeah, I think. Um, you know, with those players another year old or another year more experienced, I'm, I'm optimistic about what they can do. Yeah, they've invested very heavily in youth. Uh, that's going to pay off. Yeah. I think yeah, that's, uh, that's it. But there's a time when you've got to pay on the, off on that investment. And I, my worry is Thorne's got to develop as a coach as well. You know, he, he can't keep... I've I got, got the tendency he would just ditch players who he couldn't, he couldn't deal with, who weren't ready to to do you know, the 100% Brad Thorne game. And, and that's why we saw players go missing. And Andrew Reddy's moved on now. It looks like he's going to go to the Western Force, although he's named to the Brisbane City NRC team. Um, 
you know, I don't want him to lose faith in these young guys too quickly and all of a sudden we see more 19-year-olds starting and so on. So we'll see how that goes. Um, we should move on to the Rebels and we, because Matt let us down and didn't turn up again, he was meant to be here like much like Saturday night with Jamie and we're giving Matt the responsibility of looking after the Rebels. We're going to have to carry the load once again and, and look at the Rebels. And I know I said at the start of the season, lads, that th- this was the season, this was the Rebels' best chance to, to win the conference considering, you know, all that they were granted from um, the demise of the Western Force um, in terms of all those players and so on. You know, have they blown their chance or, you know, can they... You know, they did well this year. They did okay. Uh, they, they finished the season poorly and that really cost them. But is there a chance for them to... Uh, where do they need to have to, sort of, I guess, lift their game to, to excel next year, uh, Jamie? Um, yeah, quite a few places. I mean, they're, they're yeah. going to miss Murphy a lot. Um, I mean, he, he carries them. Not <laughs> um, yeah, exactly. Um, let's, yeah, let's wait until all the facts come out about that, but it certainly doesn't look very good for him. Um, New Zealand tends to take those kinds of crimes quite seriously. Um, look, the Rebels need front row strength. Their scrum was terrible every week this year. Um, so that's going to require some investment. Then they looked like a completely different team when Will Genia was on the park and he's yeah. not going to be there. So that's a big problem. And then the other thing, you know, the, the thing that they really needed this year was, was more 10-12. Um, can, I, can I interject? Why yeah. isn't Genia going to be there? Uh, because he's posted online that he's leaving. Yeah, right. You're going by that. Yeah, so we still don't know. There's that mystery Instagram post where he's, it looks as if he yeah. was farewelling Melbourne, but we haven't heard anything since, and I'm intrigued about whether that was actually blown out of proportions, but we'll see, eh? Yeah, it's not clear what to say. I mean, he's got a multi-year contract, so yeah. that. Um, not to mention that the Reds have about four scrum halves yeah. at the moment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so, look, let's wait and see. But, look, yep. Matsumura is a big signing for them. They needed yeah. pure quality at 10 and 12, and they've got that. That's great. But up front, that group of sort of Faulkner and Ben Daly and Talakai, just, it just didn't work for them. They got dominated week in, week out, and it really restricted what they could do on the field. Um, so that's where they'll be looking to improve. Some of the other elements of their roster look really good, and there's uh, a lot of rumours that Sean McMahon will be back uh, sooner rather than later in their back row as well. So that's an interesting one. That's uh, I, you know there was talk that he was going to the Reds, but then I talked that he wasn't coming to the Reds. So if he ends up down there, that'd be um, a huge score for them, particularly when they've got Nasirani. They've obviously lost Mafia, as we say, but Colby Flainga, who's a huge blow for them, he's been fantastic. But um, yeah, that'd be monumental. Hugh, anything from your perspective on the Rebels? Oh yeah, look, they'll get better. I mean. Again, they seem to have this salary cap that stretches millions and millions. I mean, I don't know how they can continually afford these free agents and how they're outbeating the Waratahs, Reds and Brumbies. But, look, that's that's probably by the by. Um, yeah, Jamie hits on it pretty well. It's just that, that um, you know, little bit of experience, that little bit of muscle and that little bit of uh, mental fortitude that they were lacking, um, you know, and hopefully some of these big recruits can, can bring it to them. Certainly... A guy like Matt Tamu will will be a fantastic addition, and ten is the position that they have struggled. Um, Matt Tamu is not a ten necessarily, but I think he's better than he'll be better there than what they've got. 
So yeah. that's, you know, that's been their gaping weakness throughout. And unfortunately, Jack Debrasini, Taylor Adams, these sort of blokes haven't really been able to fill that gap. Whether Jack Maddox moves there eventually, you know, that time will tell. But um, they've got enough young talent. They've got enough experienced old wallaby heads um, to make me believe that they'll be there or thereabouts next year again. You know, won't win the comp, but they certainly will be a lot better than they've been in previous years. Yeah, they, they, yeah, they they should have done better than they did this year. But suffered through injury, and like Jamie said, that the Guinea injury was just um, critical for them at, a, at the wrong time, unfortunately. Um, lads, uh, we're going to wrap it up. Um, just we talked about um, you know the game on Friday night, and if, if you're in Sydney, uh, you know, encourage you to get down to Leichhardt Oval to to watch that. We think it'll be a great occasion. Plenty of kids' activities, free entry. It will be live streamed on rugby.com.au as well, which is great. Um, uh, up here in Brizzo, it, it's club rugby finals start this weekend, so um, the uh, UQ will play Jeep. So that's a that's a one v two. So the winner of that will go straight through to the grand final. UQ Jeeps, so a really great competition, very close all season. And it, you know, even the, the battle for the wooden spoon was close. But there's a lot of contenders for the top four. But as it was, UQ Jeeps East and South finished in the top four. Um, that South team, obviously led by Quaid, um, they won't have Carmichael Hunt, who's been ineligible for the finals, hasn't played enough games, but East have come from the clouds to make it, and a few other teams have dropped off, but UQ played Jeep, so wherever that goes through the grand final, East played South, um, the loser of that is gone, um, with the winner playing on, whoever loses from Uni Jeeps, that's on Sunday afternoon, um, 3 o'clock and 5.15 at Ballymore, so club rugby at Ballymore is uh, you know, a really exciting part of the Queensland rugby season so I encourage you all if you're in uh, South East Queensland to get along to that or else again it'll be live streamed um, from a uh, green and gold news perspective Nick and Nick, the two Nicks will be dropping another um, dropped kickoff pod uh, tomorrow, the next couple of days talking about the upcoming Stockman's rugby game up, uh, versus the Force talking to the Stockies guys which is a really interesting concept worth having a listen as well um, Jamie, Hugh, anything else you want to add before we wrap up? No. Good good, no, good uh, about podcast it. about the cobwebs before the international season. Excellent. We'll, we'll, yeah, touch base. we'll touch base another month or so then, I guess. Um, but um, thanks for joining us, uh, Hugh and Jamie. Jamie, great to have you in town and in our time zone. Thanks to Nick in the booth and to all our listeners. Thanks for downloading, listening, um, liking and all the want. And we'll catch you next week or whenever. Eels off the top. Larkham. Herbert smashes through the middle. Regan. Drop goal from Larkham. Up it goes. Could you believe it? Larkham has to be at De Beer.